everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Dr. Tony preached an amazing message, and, uh, and, and he talked about our identity and leaned in to this concept that truly the only thing that separates the sinners from the saints at the end of the day is the blood of Jesus. It's Christ that separates us and makes us positionally the righteousness of Christ immediately upon receiving his grace and being born again, and it's That same grace and power that helps us grow, continually becoming more and more like Jesus and walking in that identity on a day-to-day basis. Today, as we continue with week three of our God in Hamilton series, we want to explore the theme of forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Forgiveness. Would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read a parable this morning, beginning in verse 21. This is an engagement that Jesus is having with his disciples, and Peter comes up to him with a question. It says in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times, as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This, this number that's given of 10,000 talents within the context of the parable would be kind of like the equivalent of saying that you owed, you know, $5 billion. It's an amount that would be impossible for you to pay off in your lifetime. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Not only did he release him, but he forgave the debt. It's amazing. But when that same servant went out, he found that one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, Uh, He found one of his servants who owed him 100 denarii, and he seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported this to their master, all that they had all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help this morning. We ask, I personally ask for your help in communicating a very challenging topic, one that impacts all of us, one that requires an act of obedience and submission from all of us that oftentimes feels so deep and so great and so painful. And yet, there is grace for it. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would go before me this morning 
And Lord, that you would prepare every heart to receive your word on this topic. Lord, I'm asking that you would diffuse every trigger. Lord, I'm asking that you would minister and bring healing salve to every heart. Lord, that the seed of your truth would go deep inside of us so that we could walk in freedom, so that we would walk in freedom from shame, so that we would walk in freedom from bitterness. Lord, that the spirit of unforgiveness, that the sickness that comes from resentment would no longer have hold on us a day more. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to title this message, thank you so much, Gabby, The Offense of Forgiveness. Now, it's been said that love is reckless. Right? We love to sing about that old reckless love. And grace is amazing. Got a song about it, did a series on it. We love that amazing grace. And mercies are new every morning. And one of these days we're going to figure out what traveling mercies is. We pray it over every trip, but I'm, not, I'm still trying to figure out the traveling mercies. But I want to submit this morning that forgiveness is complicated. And if I take it a step further, I would say that forgiveness is offensive. It just is. It's challenging. You know, we can't survive without it, and yet sometimes we just love to withhold it. We can't walk in freedom apart from it, and yet we don't want to be bound to it. We often find it just as hard to receive as we do to give it. Forgiveness can be downright offensive. As we have been talking through this series, we've been highlighting the life of Alexander Hamilton and looking at not only the story in his life, but the portrayal of that within the musical. And Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, was very well acquainted with this complicated relationship of forgiveness. In the book, God and Hamilton uh, by Kevin Cloud, as we mentioned before, we get a little glimpse into this scenario. In Philadelphia, in 1791, there was an attractive 23-year-old woman by the name of Maria Reynolds who approached Hamilton's front door. She knocked and she had requested to speak privately with him about a specific matter. And even though he did not know her, he allowed her to have audience. She would explain to him about this challenging and, and somewhat abusive, well, abusive relationship that she had with her husband, James Reynolds, who had treated her cruelly and eventually left her to live with another woman and left her in such destitution and condition that though she wanted to return to her friend, she did not have the means to do so. And so not one to turn away someone in need and probably reminded of his own brokenness and his own poverty and his own abandonment that he experienced from a young age he did offer some assistance. Now, he would tell Miss Maria Reynolds to go on home, and then he would bring some financial resources later that evening. When he would arrive, Maria invited him to come in and then invited her, him to her bedroom. And rather than just give her the money and return back to his home, he gave into temptation and began what would be an affair that would destroy and leave incredibly devastating impact, not only on his own soul, but his family, his reputation, his political career. Now you would, as horrible as that is, you'd love to think it stopped there, but it did not. Shortly after that evening, his beloved Eliza, his wife, during that summer would go on to Albany, New York to take their children to spend time, spend a vacation with her parents, and it was during that time that this affair continued and intensified and at times would even take place at their household. Now her husband would find out about this situation but would not respond in the way that you would think a husband should respond when he found out that his wife was having an affair with another man. 
He actually just showed up to Hamilton to basically extort him for money. And not only did he know about it, not only did he look to get black, blackmail money from Hamilton, but he actually encouraged Hamilton to continue as long as he would pay for her services. So here's this man pimping out his wife, and yet because of fear of what would happen to his reputation or word getting out, Hamilton would continue to pay. Now, some Republicans at the time, three specifically, one um, including James Monroe, would find out information about payments being made to Mr. Reynolds, and so they confronted Hamilton and began to accuse him, accuse him of using his political influence for personal gain. And so as they went to him, he shockingly, well, I say shockingly, he actually admitted this to the legislators because they were threatening to accuse him of speculation and take this information to Washington after he communicated to them exactly what had happened and that this was not a political matter but a personal matter, the legislators agreed to keep it under wraps. This remained a secret for almost five years until a tabloid writer had gotten some information and began posting info about this accusation and this affair. Now, as egregious as it was and clearly this was, the tabloid writer was actually speaking some truth. And as you hear this, don't think to yourself, I told you Bigfoot was real. You know, we see these tabloids and we see things and we don't know what to take as truth. But for, for fear, again, of protecting his own political pursuits, for fear of the accusation of speculation, Hamilton would publish his own pamphlet that would in one way recuse him of any political misdoings, but in a very detailed, embarrassing, and shaming manner, not just on himself, but on his wife and on his family, explain this affair. As you can imagine, Eliza was shook. You know, to think about the way this offense had taken place, I mean, if you could imagine and just kind of put yourself in this scenario, see a destitute, abused woman in need of help in a broken relationship. She comes to your doorstep, is asking for help. Maybe there's a conversation that takes place between Liza and Hamilton. We don't know. But maybe there's this conversation about, should we help her? I don't know. How much do we have? Do you think we can do this? How much should we give? Let's pray. You know, knowing that Eliza Hamilton was a woman of faith, she was a woman of compassion, she would later uh, establish the first uh, privately funded orphanage, so we know she had a heart of compassion. Maybe it was even her initiative or her confirmation that gave Alexander Hamilton the green light to go and give resources to this young woman. And then to later find out that the very woman that you tried to help would later betray your wedding vows in your own home. Not once, not twice, but multiple times. Eliza could not stand to be in Alexander's presence, as you can imagine. She went to go stay with her parents in Albany for a season and also to give birth to their sixth child. Hamilton found himself exposed, alone, and without the woman he loved most. And really, he found himself in a place where we often find ourselves, maybe in not that specific scenario, but all of us in desperate need for forgiveness. I want to turn to Psalm 130. Here we see in Psalm 130 this cry of anguish. And we get a sense as the psalmist describes the ache that comes from this sense and this fear or this 
carrying the weight of unforgiveness. You see, the, reali- the realization is that story, we could hear that story, and what it could do is it could serve the same purpose that watching Maury Povich does or watching Ricky Lake or watching these kind of tabloid television shows where we look at these lives and we tell ourselves, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not like that. And then we recuse ourselves or we give us an excuse to keep, or a pass to keep walking in the way that we're walking. But one of the offensive aspects of forgiveness is that we all need it. We all need to be forgiven. And it's easy for us to look at a situation like Alexander Hamilton or look at a situation like fill in the blank, whatever person on the news or whatever person has hurt you and offended you and to magnify and to, uh, to detail and to lean into another person's offense, another person's hurt and way that they hurt us. And we forget that we are in need of forgiveness. Not just forgiveness from a holy God, which is kind of a big deal, but also daily with one another. I hate to burst a bubble this morning, but you're not perfect, boo-boo. You're not. You're not. None of us are. Psalm 130 psalmist writes, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? This is an open book test. I will tell you, none. None can stand. None can stand before a holy God. We have deeply offended God. We have walked, marked by the stain of sin that came into the world in the garden. We are marked by selfishness. We are prone to the lust of the flesh. We are prone to our own, pursuing our own power in our own way, even if it seems nice. Even our good deeds or seemingly good deeds or even our our ways of helping other people can so often be this manipulative way of just getting our own way. It gets exposed when our will gets crossed. But we all are marked and in need of forgiveness. And the thing about it is we cannot pay that debt. He goes on to say, but with you... There is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. He repeats this to communicate the deep longing and the deep desperation and the deep need that we all have to be forgiven. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the plea of one to a God who is a covenant God. Who is a God who is covenant and a God who is holy. He is both of these things. He is a God who is loving and he is a God who is just. And with this wrestling, we get offended, I think, by forgiveness because we think that forgiveness means it doesn't matter. We think that forgiveness means that what was done to us, that's eh, no big deal. It's no big deal. Forgiveness is evidence that there's been an offense. Forgiveness 
doesn't just come from anywhere. I think part of its, its, its nature, part of its complicated nature is that it actually reminds us, it actually highlights that there has been a pain caused from, for some reason. A legitimate pain. And usually this pain comes with a price. There was damage done. We don't want to confuse that just because intention might not have been there, there wasn't damage done. I love you guys. I love you. I believe that you love me. As well-intentioned as you might be, if one of you, full of Jesus and full of joy, leaves Transform, fill with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you get saved today. Hallelujah. And you're so excited you can't wait to go break bread and celebrate. But in your joy, you back into my car and damage the back. Man, I'm glad you got saved. But we're going to need to exchange insurance. Because damage was done. And somebody got to pay. <laughs> Sometimes we mix up, we mix up and we think that, okay, well, that means intention, you know, intention doesn't mean that there's not an offense. Good point, good point. And we think that, okay, well, well, how do we deal with this? How do we, I don't think they meant it or or maybe they did mean it. (laughs) Maybe you were like, man, I can't stand listening to preaching more than 20 minutes. I'm trying to beat the Baptist to lunch. He messing up my flow. Got to watch the dunk contest on DVR. The bottom line is forgiveness means that there is a problem. There's a pain. There's a price. Somebody has to pay it. Now, the problem is a lot of times we think it's our responsibility to be the judge juror and executioner. And so we like to take on the characteristics of the servant that was forgiven much that we see highlighted in Matthew 18, but then when it comes time for us to determine who is to receive mercy or not, then we start forgetting what we have just been forgiven. And, and, and what we did was, I mean, I... I know you said like five billion, but it was like five bucks, right? We begin to minimize what we were actually, the debt that we were forgiven, and maximize, oh, but, but you don't understand God. You don't understand how deep this hurt me. You don't understand how long this went on. Now, as we talk about this forgiveness, I do want to make a couple caveats. Forgiveness is a process. We're commanded to forgive. As believers, we're commanded to forgive. We see this, uh, Jesus even, he first even nails this down in, uh, after he's doing the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching them how to pray in Matthew 6, challenging them in the way that they forgive others their transgressions, even as we ourselves have been forgiven. But as we are commanded to forgive, forgiveness is a process. What does that mean? Is that it's not like you just say, I forgive you, and now all the pain's gone. And all the trust is restored. We need to be reminded of this, not just when we are called to forgive, but when we are in need of forgiveness. Some of us, maybe you happen to be a seven on the Enneagram. I don't know. Enneagram is not necessarily, there's no Bible verse that's going to give you that, so just... Some of y'all need to know the Enneagram is not the gospel. But these things can be helpful tools. And one of the things is a seven on the Enneagram. Seven on the Enneagram like to avoid pain. They don't want to deal with pain. They don't want to deal with shame. They want to move on to the next thing. They just want to move on. Let's get over this. I know I screwed up. I know I did this. I know I hurt you. But can we just move on to something? Because I'm really uncomfortable dealing with my emotions. But a lot of times we don't want to deal with it. We want it to happen now. Forgive me now. Trust me now. Let's deal with this. Let's not talk about it anymore. Let's just pretend it never happened. Forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is a process. 
But I also want to say, and this is the caveat that I want to give, is when we talk about forgiveness and we say we're commanded to forgive, you, you, you can forgive someone and also not continue in an abusive relationship. Forgiving someone does not mean you continue to expose yourself to abuse. Um, And forgiveness, a person can forgive you and also choose to build right boundaries to govern and to steward their own hearts. So I do, I want want to give that caveat because I don't want us to think that, you know, you just, you know, well, I guess I'll just keep being a, stepping mat for you. But there is this forgiveness of really what this is. When we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness requires, it has, there's pain that comes with it. There's a price and someone has to pay. But when it comes to forgiveness and we're forgiving one another, a lot of times we think that when we withhold forgiveness that we're keeping another person bound. That I'm going to make sure, I'm not going to forgive you until I know that you have paid off this debt. Now, when we talk about reconciliation, reconciliation or repentance uh, is one of the things that my, um, one of my mentors and, and, and uh, therapists, Christian counselors, he says this all the time. He says, for reconciliation to take place, reconciliation takes more than one person. It requires repentance, remorse, and amends. It requires not only the person one person to forgive, but the other person has to come for the relationship to restore and there to be reconciliation. There needs to be some repentance, some remorse, and a willingness to move forward and to make amends, to make what was wrong right if that can be done. But re- forgiveness actually only requires one person. I don't know about you. I'm thankful that God forgiving me was not contingent on my capacity to pay off my debt. It wasn't. In fact, if it was, none of us would be forgiven. Because it's impossible. We, we can't pay off that debt. And so we think that I'm going to withhold forgiveness until you repay me. We see this example in Matthew 18 where they were told, I'm going to take you captive until you pay your debt. But the reality of unforgiveness is it actually takes you captive until you walk in forgiveness. It takes you captive to bitterness. It takes you captive to resentment. It puts you in a position that you were never meant to be, and that is ultimately the judge and the executioner. You see, there is one who has paid every debt of sin, and it's Jesus. On the cross, Christ took on the full weight of all sin and every transgression. Not just of the sins that had been committed to that point, but every sin, past, present, and future. And when we forgive, we're not saying it didn't matter. When we choose to walk in obedience to God and forgive even when we've been deeply hurt and offended and wounded, but we choose to forgive, what we are saying is, God, I trust you. Lord, this hurt, this mattered. Holy Spirit, I need help in knowing how to proceed with this relationship. I need help in knowing what boundaries need to be established. Lord, I know good and well I need help to learn how to trust again. Lord, I don't want to walk embittered and I don't want to walk cold and callous and hard-hearted, but Lord, I'm just letting you know it hurts. I told myself I wasn't going to trust again, and I trusted, and now I'm, I'm here in this situation, and I'm really having a hard time, but, 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 God, you've been really gracious to me. 
And I could never repay you for what you've done for me. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with today. And God, I'm going to have to trust you tomorrow. I need that new grace and new mercy tomorrow. And the amazing thing about God is no matter how deep the offense, no matter how deep the cut, no matter how great the cost, is he has the grace that we need. Yesterday, and this might seem like a small thing, but I want to help you get this picture. Yesterday, I was on my way uh, to visit some family, and um, it was a little bit later in the afternoon. I hadn't had time to get lunch for my three youngest, and, and I just thought, you know what? I want to I buy them, you know, take them out to lunch, and I'm starting evaluating my budget my cash flow. And I think, man, I don't know. I'm like, I don't want to use all my money. Already it's halfway through the month. I'm eating peanut butter and jelly the rest of the month. And I'm just thinking, okay, I don't really have the money to pay for that. Go spend time with my family. Right before I leave, my uncle slips a little something in my hand. I didn't look at it at the time, and I get in the car, and it was far more than I needed for this little lunch. And as I was eating lunch with the kids, I couldn't help but think about this message this morning and thinking about how many times are we faced with a need to forgive someone. And we're evaluating the ache, like legitimately trying to be good Christians. We're evaluating the injustice that was done. And maybe we just really come to the honest human reality of God, I don't have enough. God, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to forgive that. And I tell you, if you can just be honest, if you could just come to him, he will meet you with more grace to forgive than you could ever imagine. And then you tap into a reservoir of forgiveness that is so supernatural. Do you understand? That's the kind of forgiveness that makes the world look at it and go, what is this? How in the, I could never, I could never do that. And you can look at him and say, me neither. I don't know. couldn't do it. I didn't have it in me. Oh God. Oh God. Oh holy one. But there's a grace so powerful. Yes. 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 Eliza Hamilton was a woman of deep faith and conviction. And after some time you know, her, her, her relationship with Jesus was documented, written about time and again, not the least of which by Hamilton himself after being a recipient of her deep conviction, love for Jesus. And eventually it was that relationship with God that would, out of deep pain, out of deep embarrassment. One of the most powerful songs in the musical Hamilton is a song called Burn. Whew, Jesus. That taps into the painful reality of the ache that she felt. Some of you need to genuinely process that pain. 
not forget it, not wash it, not just tuck it under the, tuck it under the bed, sweep it under the rug. I want to encourage you to process it and yet be committed to the process of forgiveness. But she was not just committed to forgive. This love of Jesus compelled her to look to restore. One of the most powerful, in my opinion, the most powerful moment in the musical was a song sung by Eliza communicating this journey of forgiveness. This morning, we have a special guest with us, Ms. Jackie Owens. She's a local artist, actress. Uh, she's going to be playing Aida in an upcoming production here locally. And we're just blessed to have this morning. I've asked her to sing this song, It's Quiet Uptown, from the musical Hamilton. And this is what I want to ask you. I want you to listen to it. I don't want you to just hear the story that is in this musical. But I want us to contemplate and ponder the power of forgiveness. that the words don't reach there is suffering too terrible to name you hold your child as tight as you can then push away the unimaginable the moments when you're in so deep feels easier to just swim down and so they move uptown and learn to live with the unimaginable I spend hours in the garden I walk alone to the store and it's quiet uptown I never liked the quiet before I walk the children to church on Sunday A sign of the cross on the door And I pray That never used to happen before Walking by himself Have pity You would like it uptown It's quiet uptown The unimaginable Passes every day You knock me down Now I fall apart Look at where we are Look at where we started I know I don't deserve you but hear me out and there would be enough If I could spare his life If I could trade his life for mine He'd be standing here right now And you would smile and there would be enough I don't pretend to know The challenges we're facing I know there's no Get a 
rendition of that song that Jackie just did so beautifully. Some of those lines, she was singing the lines of both Alexander as well as Eliza as you see this interaction of her expressing her anguish, him being broken and contrite, coming to a place of repentance, remorse, and ultimately highlighting really the crux and the moment that just kind of shut it down for me is when they're standing side by side and they take hands. You hear those words, forgiveness. Forgiveness. There's one part, one lyric in the song that honestly is one of the Reasons I know that Kevin, the author of God and Hamilton, was stirred to write the book that he did. It's because you hear these themes like forgiveness that are raised, these spiritual things that connect with us on a deep level that are lifted and that we feel, and yet we can almost be led to this mystery rather than to our ultimate hope. The line says, there's a grace too powerful to name. The reason that we can, I can stand up here with any boldness, with any conviction, with any hope, is because that grace has a name. name is Jesus. That's the only reason that we have hope. It's the only reason we could possibly not just be forgiven, but forgive. And as the psalmist celebrates in Psalm 130, this is not just something that God does, but it marks who he is. He is a restorer. He is a redeemer. He is a forgiver. Now, I titled this message The Offense of Forgiveness. And kind of lean in the sense that, you know, it, it is, it can offend us. One, there's a side of it where oftentimes our offense can seem too great to be forgiven. And sometimes feeling like we have to forgive in and of itself is offensive. But there's another way that this word is used. You know, they say in sports terms that sometimes the best defense is a great offense. 
And I want to encourage us that forgiveness is not a passive thing. It's not something that just pretends that something didn't matter. But when we actually lean into trusting God and taking a proactive initiative in forgiving, I believe it is an offensive, an offensive weapon against the kingdom of darkness. That the very thing that the enemy would try to do to keep you captive, to keep you bound, to keep you embittered, to keep you focused on your own pain, is an amazing opportunity and a declaration that God, even in the midst of this, I trust you. And not only do I trust you, I'm reminded of what you've done for me and I praise you. And so I will praise you for what you've done and I will respond with love with forgiveness, with mercy as a demonstration of trust. Can I tell you the devil hates that? He's terrified of a people that will dare to trust God like that. Again, I remind you that God is a just God. And even when you think somebody might have got off the hook, God's going to take care of folks. He's going to take care of stuff. Whether he does it in the immediate situation or he does it when he returns and makes all things new, God will have the final say. But will we trust him? Bow your heads. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I come before you first and foremost as one of many who have been in deep and will continue to be in need of forgiveness. Lord, I know it can sound like an awkward and a weird prayer to ask when so often we try to avoid pain and so often we want to pretend like we don't like to look at the way that we've offended you, but I'm asking you in your mercy that you would give us a refresher on how much we've been forgiven. Lord, would you remind us, Lord, of how much we rejected you, of how we have served ourselves, of how we have offended you, God. Not to shame us, but I don't receive a spirit of shame or condemnation or or put that on anyone. But Lord, I merely ask that you would remind us of this so that we could be reminded of your great grace. So that we would be reminded of how much we've been forgiven. So that we would be reminded of how unfathomable and unimaginable Your forgiveness has been towards us. Lord, for those who are here right now and they know that they have a matter in which they have harmed or hurt, regardless of intention, someone else, Lord, I'm asking right now that you would bring them and bring us whenever we're on that door, which we will be. Lord, would you give us the grace to humble ourselves? Would you give us the grace not just to gloss over it, not just to say, can you just get over that? Why are we so... Lord, would you give us the grace to humble ourselves and repent? Lord, would you give us the grace to, to hear and to actually be able to listen to the offended person and to the hurt person, to the person who the relationship has been damaged. Lord, would you give us the grace to be able to hear it and not get defensive, to be able to hear it and not just deflect, but to hear it and know, okay, God, you're gonna help me process this so that we can walk in repentance. Lord, that we would be able to humble ourselves and walk in genuine godly sorrow that we would actually be reconciled 
Lord, I'm also asking that you would help us, Lord, not just to repent when we need to be forgiven and to be able to process that pain, but Lord, would you give us the grace to forgive? Lord, would you help us to, in healthy ways, whether it be with a counselor, whether it be with a therapist, and and of course, with you, Lord, would you help us to bring the pain and the ache, to process and assess the damage done. But Lord, would you also help us to trust that you will restore us, that you will restore us and trust that you are just God, our rescuer, that you will have the final say so that we can release them to you. Lord, I do pray for reconciliation, but Lord, I also pray that in situations where that may not be possible, that you would still give each of us the grace to release them to you. There's some of you in here right now, I know one of the hardest parts of you hearing this may be that the very person that hurt you or wounded you is not even here to make it right. And so it feels like you're in this place of stasis or just just stuck. You can't have the conversation that you so desperately want to have. The Lord wants you to know he has not called you to be bound for life with this. There is grace to release it to him, to trust him, and to be restored. Lord, I thank you that you're working in our hearts. And we ask that you would do this work this completed work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.